the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we cannot know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible. A 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Yay, here we are. Hello, everyone. Good evening to you. I hope you've had a good day. We, for our part, are doing great. We just had a good day, very productive. Now we come to a time to settle down as an evening and relax a bit and just listen to the Scriptures. We are making a big jump tonight from... The Old Testament from the books of First and Second Samuel. We'll be going back to the Old Testament and picking up there in the books of First and Second Kings. But first, a little bit of a break from the Old Testament. We're coming over to the New and picking up in the full light of the Messiah. We'll be reading the fourth of the four Gospels tonight, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the more theological of the four Gospels in a sense that John doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus in the manger and so on, the details of his birth. John has a very theological approach. John is thought to have been the youngest of the 12 disciples. He is writing his perspective, and he is one who is intimately involved with Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was often called. And I think there probably was a special interest Jesus had for him as the younger of the 12, maybe a sense of older brother or even a father imagery looking after John. John's perspective and John's gospel is is uniquely personal and intimate, even though it's also very, very theological, emphasizing his deity, Jesus the Messiah as Son of God. We'll get to that. Right now, though, let's go pick up in our wisdom and worship segment. We'll jump over into Proverbs chapter 8, talking about wisdom and its value to us as individuals. Now let's pick up in verse 12 on the Bible. Proverbs 8, verses 12 through 21. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. That is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverted speech. Good advice and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me, kings reign and rulers make just laws. Rulers lead with my help and nobles make righteous judgments. I love all who love me. 
Those who search for me will surely find me. Unending riches, honor, wealth, and justice are mine to distribute. My gifts are better than the purest gold, my wages better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness, in paths of justice. Those who love me inherit wealth, for I fill their treasuries. End of reading Proverbs 8:12 through 21. Listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Your name is great and greatly to be praised, and the name. The name is Jesus. It reminds me of a time I was in Mongolia taking the Jesus film over into that country. Not too long after the country opened up for the first time after 70 or 80 years to uh, the gospel. And we went in with the famous Jesus film. It had been translated, of course, to Mongolian. And we went to a, a remote little village about 70 miles north of uh, Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia. We showed the film there, 300, 350 people. And the mayor came out, and he and I were sitting and sharing after the film late in the night, probably midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. He was serving me the traditional horse milk and cookies. He was thanking me for bringing the film, of course, through translator, all of this. I asked him, what do you think of the film? Oh, it's wonderful. I said, well, what do you think of the message? And he stood up and he waved his hand across the beautiful Mongolian sky. And he says, all my life I have searched for God. And tonight I finally met him and I learned that his name is Jesus. The name above all names. Such a beautiful aha moment for me as I saw God working in his life and drawing this man who had never heard the name to open his heart and life to the Savior, to experience the new life offered by Jesus the Messiah. Now, of the eight miracles recorded, six of the miracles in the Gospel of John are unique to John, as the upper room discourse and so on. Over 90% of the Gospel of John is unique to his Gospel. There are the famous I Am's of the Gospel of John. There are eight of those that we can pay attention to. He spoke and galaxies whirled into place. The Creator stepped into time and space, voluntarily taking upon himself the mantle of humanity, the Bible life. John 1, 1 through 3, 36. John 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. He was with God and He was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that He didn't make. Life itself was in Him. And this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent John the Baptist to tell everyone about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was going to come into the world. But although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. 
So the Word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father. John pointed Him out to the people. He shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming who is far greater than I am, for He existed long before I did. We have all benefited from the rich blessings He brought to us, one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but His only Son, who is Himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has told us about Him. This was the testimony of John when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John whether he claimed to be the Messiah. He flatly denied it. I am not the Messiah, he said. Well then, who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet? No. Then who are you? Tell us so we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare a straight pathway for the Lord's coming. Then those who were sent by the Pharisees asked him, If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not know who will soon begin his ministry. I am not even worthy to be his slave. This incident took place at Bethany, a village east of the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, Soon a man is coming who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before I did. I didn't know he was the one, but I have been baptizing with water in order to point him out to Israel. Then John said, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, when you see the Holy Spirit descending and resting upon someone, he is the one you are looking for. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the Son of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and then declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Then John's two disciples turned and followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place, and they stayed there the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard what John said and then followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, be my disciple. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went off to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can any good come from there? Just come and see for yourself, Philip said. As they approached, Jesus said, Here comes an honest man, a true son of Israel. 
How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Nathanael replied, Teacher, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked him, Do you believe all this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, The truth is, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down upon the Son of Man. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. John 2. The next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. How does that concern you and me, Jesus asked. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Six stone water pots were standing there. They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and held 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So they followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Usually a host serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone is full and doesn't care, he brings out the less expensive wines. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was Jesus' first display of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. It was time for the annual Passover celebration, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices, and he saw money changers behind their counters. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and oxen, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house burns within me. What right do you have to do these things, the Jewish leaders demanded? If you have this authority from God, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? they exclaimed. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you can do it in three days? But by this temple, Jesus meant his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed both Jesus and the Scriptures. Because of the miraculous signs he did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many people were convinced that he was indeed the Messiah. But Jesus didn't trust them, because he knew what people were really like. No one needed to tell him about human nature. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. John 3. After dark one evening, a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to speak with Jesus. Teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless you are born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, The truth is, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. 
Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. What do you mean, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, I am telling you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe us. But if you don't even believe me when I tell you about things that happen here on earth, how can you possibly believe if I tell you what is going on in heaven? For only I, the Son of Man, have come to earth and will return to heaven again. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up on a pole, so that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. There is no judgment awaiting those who trust him, but those who do not trust him have already been judged for not believing in the only Son of God. Their judgment is based on this fact. The light from heaven came into the world, but they love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. They hate the light because they want to sin in the darkness. They stay away from the light for fear their sins will be exposed and they will be punished. But those who do what is right come to the light gladly so everyone can see that they are doing what God wants. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Afterward, Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem, but they stayed in Judea for a while and baptized there. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was put into prison. At that time, a certain Jew began an argument with John's disciples over ceremonial cleansing. John's disciples came to him and said, Teacher, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you said was the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going over there instead of coming here to us. John replied, God in heaven appoints each person's work. You yourselves know how plainly I told you that I am not the Messiah. I am here to prepare the way for him. That is all. The bride will go where the bridegroom is. A bridegroom's friend rejoices with him. I am the bridegroom's friend, and I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. I am of the earth, and my understanding is limited to the things of earth. But he has come from heaven. He tells what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Those who believe him discover that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God's Spirit is upon him without measure or limit. The Father loves his Son, and he has given him authority over everything. And all who believe in God's Son have eternal life. Those who don't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but the wrath of God remains upon them. End of reading, John 1, 1 through 336. The 
Bible Live here on the airways. The first three chapters of the Gospel of John. It starts out in the beginning. The word is talking not about the word as some lesson in grammar or a Greek lesson about words. This is about God himself. The word here referring to the Messiah, the Son of God. The God of the Bible is one God. We're not polytheists. But there are three distinct persons in the Godhead, and we have different titles for them given throughout the Bible, the Old and New Testaments. There are titles given and, and references made. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. And here we talk about the Son of God, Messiah, the Son of Man, as Jesus referred to himself. And, of course, the Father, the Creator. So we have these distinct persons, but they are so perfectly united they are in total, absolute, perfect harmony with one another, these three distinct persons, in their love for each other, in their character, in their purpose and intent, and in their action. They are so perfectly in harmony, united with one another, that we can rightly and correctly, even at their instruction to us, know these three distinct persons as one God, the true and living God. The Trinity is not some weird doctrine that we have to be embarrassed about as believers. It's an amazing, beautiful, powerful truth about God. In the first place, it is a pretty good hint that we didn't make this God up. Who would make up a God like that? It's not the kind of God that one would make up if he could, or if he could, he wouldn't. This is a good, strong evidence that this is a true revelation. But it also has some real hope for us in the Trinity. One of our longings of humanity is oneness and harmony, oneness with God and oneness with others around us. God embodies in his very being, in his essence, he is a social being. The Trinity, in fact, is a relational miracle. And God is bringing his people, those who respond to him, who love him, he is bringing us, the redeemed, into that oneness with himself and with each other as God's people. It's a wonderful truth that caps and crowns the experience of our personal salvation. We are not alone. We are now in a oneness relationship with God himself, with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and with all of the redeemed, with God's people. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. And that's where John starts off, talking about the Word coming. He's predicted, and then he talks about that powerful miracle of, of how God, the omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign God, all of the attributes of deity, voluntarily leaving off the free exercise of his divine prerogatives, his authority, and his powers to walk into the experience of humanity. I wish everyone in this city, everyone in the region could hear this beautiful explanation by the Apostle John, this committed, sincere, genuine Jewish believer of the first century, who met, who walked day to day with this one known as Jesus of Nazareth. He and the other apostles came to that conclusion that this indeed was that long-awaited, long-predicted and prophesied Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer who was to come. Now, they didn't see it clearly. They didn't understand it. And frankly, you and I don't see it clearly. We don't understand it entirely we get more of it because of their witness, but this is an astounding moment when God himself, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, sovereign God, voluntarily gave up the free exercise of his divine authority, his prerogatives, and his powers. He didn't cease having them. He didn't cease being God, but voluntarily stepped into the human experience. 
and became a fertilized egg and an embryo and then a fetus and then was birthed and became entirely and wholly limited as any of us are. Now, the only major difference, he did not have that sin nature, the inherited, irresistible, irrevocable tendency to selfishness that we inherited because of our lineage through Adam and the fallen race of humanity. Now John surfaces. John the Baptist was announced by Gabriel. He was predicted and explained in the Old Testament, and he had an amazing life and ministry, hugely successful, but he gave it all away. When the Redeemer surfaced and came on the scene, John recognized him because God had given him a clue. When you see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven on that person, you'll know that's the one, that's the Messiah. That was the test. When he saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, resting upon Jesus at his baptism, then John knew this is the Messiah. This is the one. And John, without hesitation, turns that huge, potentially enriching crowd of followers over to Jesus, the Messiah, and says, follow him. He is the one. I must decrease. He must increase. What a Savior we have. I say wow a lot as we make our way through the scriptures, but tonight in particular, the Gospel of John is going to be an amazing journey. We move very quickly from the time of his coming, the Son of God himself, God himself, stepping into time and space, humbling himself, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, humbling himself and submitting himself. The eternal became temporal. The totally absolutely independent now becomes dependent the infinite has become finite voluntarily stepping into that role to live a life of total faith and trust and obedience to the father he himself says and you'll see it here in the gospel of john i don't do the miracles i do the teaching i do nothing i do is of myself i do it only in the power of and by the direction of the Father. See you next time, folks. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.